Well, good morning, everybody. Hope you're ready to dig in. We're going to be in 1 Corinthians today. We uh, started a couple weeks ago, a few weeks ago, is by way of an introduction out of Acts chapter 18. We know the church in Corinth, um, there's some history there we can glean from uh, other portions of Scripture, so it was nice to dig into that. And last week, of course, we were in chapter 1. And we're going to go through this, you know, and you know, kind of find a, I think, a pace. It's always a challenge as a pastor to find the pace, you know. There's some days I just want to stay on about two verses or two words sometimes because there's just so much in it. And then there's other times like, yeah, you got to keep it in context, right? You got to kind of get the overall as you're going through. And so anyway, we are going to, we're going chapter by chapter, verse by verse. Um, the reason I have, I prefer that and I even chose to do that on Sunday morning it's because, you know, I, I just by example, I want to go through the Word together with everyone. I want you to be encouraged as you look into the Word. You can see as you, as you by practice, even approaching it, um, God will teach you and He'll show you and bring truth to you. And, and so really by practice, I like doing that. I love topical studies. I think they're very healthy. I think they're very important to do specific topical studies. But I also know it's very important to, to study chapter by chapter, verse by verse. And so we'll be doing that today. I've called this series out of first. Corinthians, called out, called up. God's invitation to live and love at a higher level, because that's really what's going on. We, you see in the first uh, chapter of First Corinthians there in verse 2, to the church of God, which is at Corinth. Church speaks of ecclesia, the called out one. So we, you and I, we were born in this world and then we were brought into the truth of the gospel. We were exposed, if you were, to the grace of God. We were, it was revealed to us, God's love and forgiveness through the person, Jesus Christ. And in that moment that we recognized our sin, we recognized his forgiveness, we were born again, born of the Spirit, called out of this world that we were in, but we're still in the world but not of the world. Does that make sense? We're the ecclesia, the called out ones. But we're not called out just to continue as we did over here. We're called out and called up. A higher mindset, if you would. A deeper understanding of what it means to, to walk with God. We're also enabled at that very moment that we're born of the Spirit. We're enabled and empowered by a love we didn't used to have. Because when you're born again, the very love of God is now living within you. You now have the capacity and the ability to live and love at a higher level. Every single person has, I call them presets. They're not like hardwired presets, but we all have self-set limitations. They're actually kind of healthy generally, but you know, there are certain things that you're like, oh, I could never do that, or oh, I could never do that, or whatever it may be. Maybe it's, say, for an athlete, Oh, I could never lift that much weight, or I could never do that. But as they press along, and then at one point, they end up doing something they never thought they could do. They preset, I, I could never do that much. It, it's true academically. It's true where people learn things. Like, wow, I didn't think I could ever learn that. Well, it's true in your Christian journey too, right? There's parts when you start that you're like, I could, I could never be that person. I could never do that. Well, when God is inviting you and, and really empowering you to do something, you actually can do it. So we want to be aware of these uh, presets, this fencing, if you would, that we've kind of established and, and be willing to let it be taken down. 
wisely, not somehow self-promotion, but realizing, okay, God, you've called us to live and love at a higher level, in a deeper way, with a, with a greater expression, in a deeper understanding of what love really is. And so the church at Corinth, so it's the church of God, the ecclesia, that is at Corinth. We are the church of God that is at Mountain Home, Calvary Chapel Mountain Home. This is the location we meet at. But there's one body, one church, and it's the church of God. And you notice the text even tells us that. Now at Corinth, first century church, things were a little squirrely. Things were a little crazy. They were um, very much into worldly wisdom. As we go through this study, you're going to see that it's very similar in the, in the day and age that we live in. I started last week with this phrase. I'll just repeat it because it's, it's still accurate two weeks later, you know. So here's the phrase. It speaks of Corinth. You know, it was a port city. It's a blend of the perversion of San Francisco with the ungodliness of New York covered with the commerce and pleasure-seeking of Los Angeles. Mix those together, and you have first century Corinth. What's interesting, though, is it's very similar to the age and time we live in, what I call the American church. You could broaden it probably even further than that, but I've noticed this is where we live, so that's what we'll reference. This letter will challenge us because there are some similarities. Corinth was much like our culture today. They had affluence. They had comfort. They had opportunity. Sadly, they were also sexually obsessed, morally bankrupt, deeply depraved, and arrogantly indifferent to God. Let me say that again, and you see if that meets the headlines of today. Sexually obsessed, morally bankrupt, deeply depraved, and arrogantly indifferent to God. Have you seen, him on, have you seen social media? Have you seen certain things that indicate an odd, arrogant indifference to God? It's really a crazy thing that the creature would say to the creator, well, if you exist, you owe me an explanation. But really, that's what's being presented in so much logic and so much, quote, wisdom of the world we live in. Well, how did the first century deal with this? Well, we're going to learn as we journey through this letter that there's some important principles. Actually, they're presented early on, which totally makes sense. Because the philosophy and the, the, the culture of that day was, was affecting the church. And we must be honest. We have to stop and consider even in our own conversation. Is the church influencing the culture? Or is the culture influencing the church? Who, who's affecting who the most? Because it's not easily reconciled. I'd like to say it's clear and obvious that the church, called out ones, those that God has brought his truth into, they're born again, born of the Spirit, they're uniquely and distinctly different in a positive way than the world around them. But that's not what you will see if you observe honestly. You will see in the church, sadly, in a general sense, how I say this without making it, well, I'll just say it the way I do, harsh and brutal. But anyway, sadly in the church, um, comfortable lies replace uncomfortable truths. What people want to hear is presented more than what needs to be said. And we see at the start of this letter in a similar culture 
straight to the point. There was division and the people were dividing into camps and the church would not be that way. Denominations are okay in the sense of there's a variance in the body of Christ. We understand that, right? There are just a lot of different people. God is amazing that he made each billions of people, each one unique and distinct and individual. But he created us to be interdependent, not independent. He created us to be the body of Christ working together with uniqueness. Well, the early church was citing, I'm of this and I'm of that. And he said, knock it off. It does not glorify God. And then he gets to the core of the message of the gospel. Is what he's, we're going to spend our time on today, looking at what was said. And you know, Corinth had a lot of philosophers and, and, a, and many highly educated in regards to worldly wisdom. Corinthians prided themselves in being world leaders in all things of wisdom and knowledge. I could have said Americans pride themselves in being leaders of all things related to wisdom and knowledge. Wisdom and knowledge is not a problem. Worldly wisdom is really not all bad. It's what you put your hope in. What can it do for you? What can, can it get you into heaven, so to speak? So before we jump in, we have to pray, because I read it in the bylaws of our church. Just kidding. <laughs> Let's pray. God, I'm so thankful that we can come before you with um, eagerness, uh, a healthy relational expectation that a child would come to the Father and, and seek to know understanding and seek to take hold of things. And we would come before you, God, asking you to teach us and to speak to us. We know we can't just dig in with some thoughts and ideas and bounce them off each other and figure it out with our own intellect. We believe these things that we'll look at today are to be revealed by you, spiritually discerned, poured out literally, I guess we would say, from heaven into our hearts, that you would give us courage and comprehension, insight and understanding, that we would know the difference of the, between the wisdom of this world and the wisdom that's from above. Teach us this day. We thank you in advance, Jesus, for what you'll do in your name. Amen. All right, I'd love to just catch the context. So let's read from verse 18 to 31. And then we'll look at it step by step. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this age? Has God not made foolish the wisdom of this world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through wisdom did not know God, it pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. Verse 22, for Jews request a sign and Greeks seek after wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. To the Jews a stumbling block and to the Greeks foolishness. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God, because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. Verse 26, for you see your calling, brethren, that not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called, but God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise, and God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty. And the base things of the world and the things which are despised God has chosen. And the things which are not to bring to nothing the things that are 
that no flesh should glory in his presence. But of him you are in Christ Jesus, who became for us wisdom from God, and righteousness, and sanctification, and redemption, that, it, that as it is written, he who glories, let him glory in the Lord. All right, we got the overall, we got the kind of the context. Now let's go back into verse 18 and, and kind of look deeper into it, if you would. Notice in verses 18 and really even 19, it's speaking of a different wisdom. It's actually also speaking of two groups of people, if you would. Two paths that people are traveling on. And it's true today. Those who are perishing are on one path. Those who are being saved are on another path. I'll touch on it at the end, but I'll just say right now, because it's where we are. Salvation is not something you work your way into. It's not like they're being saved and eventually they'll get there. You know, salvation has that experience of conversion and the ongoing work that takes place because of your saved. You're, you're, if you would, you, you, you'll find that there are certain situations as a born-again Christian you need deliverance. You need, you need God's hand to intervene, to, to know how to handle the situation or to deal with the heartache or handle the hardship. You're being saved through those individual things as you have salvation. The tense is past, present, and future, and we'll look into that. But it's not, don't, don't think that you're, you're working to be saved. It's because you have this gift of salvation. You're literally on a different path. You used to be on the path of the lost. And really interesting because when we work through these things, we've got to recognize that really is... The simplicity of the world we live in. Some are on a path that, that is literally taking them away from God. A path that they've chosen and they will stay on. Some will, some will not turn around. But we notice here, not only are there those who are being saved, though the lost, what separates the two? In the text, what, what says the, what's the difference? The message of the cross. The message of the cross is the difference. It, it's the key. Interesting, isn't it? Now, in verse 17, he, he does mention the gospel, speaking of the good news. And here in verse 18, he says the message of the cross. He didn't say the message of the gospel. He said the message of the cross. And, and I think that to realize there's no difference. The cross is the gospel. The cross is an amazing thing. The cross is, is um, it's a humiliating thing. It's a shameful thing. It's a form of torture and death. It's a means by which no culture would say, that's a good way to go. He chose to die in such a, come and die in such a way that it is, it's foolishness. The message of the cross, that God would come as a man, that he would be you know, beaten and tortured and put on a cross to die in a shameful, brutal way, is foolish. How can a dead guy do anything? How could that be wise? So those who are thinking at, a, at, a, at an earthly plane and a worldly wisdom, they just like, this is ridiculous. This is crazy. But understand, it's this, setting this flow up, what we're looking at today, there was that distinction. Because for those who are perishing, what we're going to look into in the next portion, it just seems foolish. But to those of us who are saved, it makes sense. You, you probably recognize this in your life. I know I look back in my life. I thought the cross was foolish. I didn't understand. It didn't make sense. But God brought me to this, what I call the crossroad of conversion, where in my life, he revealed to me my own separation from him. He, he literally brought, to me, brought me to the point where I realized I've done some horrible things, horrible things that my wife didn't know about, nobody knew about, but I, I just, I was sickened by the things that I thought and said and did. 
And that wasn't just a self-assessment. That was God bringing me to this point of realizing who I am. But he didn't leave me there. He awakened me to unmerited favor, undeserved kindness. We call it grace. He then showed me, this, listen, this is where you are, but this is where I'll take you if you will go. And he brought me into this relationship with Jesus Christ. Now, as a born-again Christian, I, didn't even, I couldn't explain it to you. I didn't have my theology in order. Still don't. I'm working on it. But 30-some years ago, I'm like, okay, this is, this is, who, this, this is it. I had a peace, a confidence. Like, and I would share with my friends, not deep theology, but just like, hey, you know, I just, I'm just taking a different route. I just, things are different. And like, whatever, you weirdo. You know, they, they couldn't understand what all of a sudden I'm, I'm embracing something that's so powerful. Because previously, I didn't care because I was on a path of perishing. But now that I'm on this different, it's not a road choice, it's a life choice. It's old life or born again new life. And in this new life, I'm like, man, this is amazing, this is exciting, this is phenomenal. And before I couldn't get it. So hopefully that helps you as you work through and engaging with people. Let's consider how this message unfolds out of chapter 1. So he's saying, listen, you guys, you're all one. Stop bickering. Understand the message you have is important for people. Because, you know, people are not always going to, they're not going to reason the way you reason. They're not going to see from what you see. You've you got to understand that. You know, he said, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Those who were looking at a horizontal level and relying on what the Bible refers to as worldly wisdom, they're not going to get it. Everything this way is going to be confusing when you're thinking this way. He says in verse 20, where's the wise? The scribe, the disputer of this age. Has God not made foolish the wisdom of this world? The Greek word, um, it's philosophia, it, it, it means love for knowledge and wisdom. Um, and, and so we're on the same reference point, thinking of how this culture then and quite honestly now People were reasoning from this horizontal plane in regards to philosophy. Philosophy being someone who reflects and forms theories uh, related to fields like logic or uh, uh, ethics, ideologies, uh, human nature. You know, they, they have this, they philosophize and they think it through and they're thinking, but they're thinking at this level. Let's consider some. Because he mentions, you know, where are these guys? This was the culture. You're familiar with Greek culture, right? I mean, it, it, influenced, it influenced our culture powerfully. You've heard of some of these names I'll mention. There was a guy by the name of Thales of Miletus, born in approximately 624 B.C. Thales was known as a, as a mathematician, uh, a physician, an engineer, astronomer. He's known as the father of science, actually. He developed several theories um, using observation, scientific knowledge, logic. And here's what was unique about him. He was steering clear from mythology. You understand in Greek culture, it was heavy on the 12 gods. And he's like, yeah, I ain't buying into that. He actually believed that there probably was a god. Interestingly enough, he, he was primarily interested in how the world was created. In his view, all of nature originated from one single substance, water, water. Interesting, isn't it? 
that some theory of evolution later would say out of this mud hole from the magic of time millions of years ago, life was formed. Here's a kind of an or as a start of this even theory and thought. But understand, this guy Thales, he was trying to figure it out at this level, this plane. Something, something powerfully happened, actually somewhat tragically happened to Thales. By 48 BC, he died. He died. That's a problem. Can we agree? If, if worldly wisdom is resolving the, the issues and he dies, that's kind of a problem with the theory. It's what we would call the wisdom of this world in regards to knowing God is a fail. Now, don't, don't read into it or don't misunderstand. I believe the wisdom of this world is very important for you and I. I believe that as we see things, um, so all your sciences and, and, and so many things, they build on each other, agreed? So, so what was known medically 400 years ago, 500 years ago, was put to the test of logic and, and you know, various different scientific approaches, if you could say that. And so medically, they stopped doing one thing, started doing another. And that just keep, kept building to the point where now we have amazing potential and capacity and knowledge of, of the human frame and human experience that the medical field and various forms of science have, have built, built upon each generation. I think that's powerful. I think that's, that's beautiful. But in regards to knowing God, that won't get you there. None of the sciences, none of the studies will. Let's go back to this, this wise and this, this, this group that he's referring to, the, the ones that would debate and philosophize. You know, I just mentioned Thales. He was four or 500 years before this, this church, but it was a part of their culture. Socrates, or as Bill and Ted called it, Socrates, Socrates of Athens. Greek philosopher, 5th century, B.C., some have been putting up this BCE. You know what the E stands for? Error. That's what it means, error, in my opinion. BC stands for before Christ. I don't, I'm not concerned about before common error, era. I, I think simply let's just be real. The reference and measure of time has, for 2,000 years, been the life of Jesus Christ. Well, anyway, now that my rant's over, and I'll throw out another one later. Socrates. 5th century. He developed his own methods and way of thinking. He established the Socratic method. Matter of fact, modern philosophy measures between pre-Socratic, or Socrates' theory, and, and his, his time in his life. Here's something that's interesting I found out about him. His principle was basically this. A dialogue between two or more people is meant to stimulate critical thinking and help each person discover their own beliefs and find their own solutions to several issues. Would you be with me on that one? Could we use a little about it in the world today? Let me read it again and think about this. A dialogue between two people is meant to stimulate critical thinking and help each person discover their own beliefs and find their own solutions to several issues. Oh, you mean like disagreeing without canceling? You mean like disagreeing and, and, and still going to lunch together? You mean like it's it is actually healthy? I believe it's necessary in the human experience for us to, to consider 
somebody else's point of view, to dialogue in a respectful way, to engage in such a fashion that quite honestly, and not getting all mystical or humanistic, but it energizes you. It literally like brings vitality to your bones to learn from someone else. For one, you learn, well, in some cases, you learn you're kind of stupid. And they're smart. And you can learn from that. And other times you go, oh, they're the dumb one. But here, seriously, you, you, isn't it important to respect and to understand and to see different levels of maturity and different human experiences and engage? And where are we at right now as a culture? All that gets canceled. If you disagree, you get deleted. It's really weird. It's, it's a rapid shift. It's a, it's a dangerous thing that's happened across the globe when, when people can't engage in a manner that is actually healthy and, and, and necessary. Socrates, he, he's kind of the one that promoted this. But something happened then, too. Socrates died in 399 B.C. So the worldly wisdom, if that's going to get you into relationship with God, it failed miserably once again. His student, Plato of Athens, you've heard some of these names, I'm sure. Um, one of Plato's best-known political, philosophical works is called The Republic, um, 400 B.C.-ish. It's a key reference, or was a key reference, for the founding fathers who established these United States of America and the republic for which it stands, one nation under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. That's philosophy impacted you and I, actually. But it didn't resolve... A relationship with God. It didn't, it didn't promote getting to know God. Plato, his student Aristotle, and all other wise scribes and disputers. Where were they at this time that Paul's writing? Dead. So their wisdom that was so highly regarded in their culture did not in any way bring them into a relationship with the living God. Worldly wisdom in regards to knowing God is a fail. I hope I've established there's a value to the wisdom, but it will not bring you into a relationship with God. All their collective wisdom passed along to our generation, the wisdom of this world, is opposed to the message of the cross. That's why he says it's foolishness to them. And he said in verse 17, he wasn't going to come with, with these words of wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of no effect. Lest people think we can reason our way into a relationship with Jesus Christ, reason our way into heaven. Take a look at verse 22. Verse 22, the Jews request a sign. The Greeks seek after wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. To the Jews, a stumbling block. And to the Greeks, foolishness. We preach Christ crucified. Preach speaks of herald to, to make known or to proclaim openly. But, but people will be offended. Yes, people will be offended. And he mentions two categories, which is really the two he kind of references, the Jews and Greeks. You could see that probably considered as a broader uh, description of the Gentiles, non-Jews. To the Jews, it was a stumbling block. The Jews looked forward to this Messiah to come, the one spoken of in, in, in Genesis, the one that Moses spoke of, the prophet, the one who would come. And they, they seen him to be perhaps a little bit like King Saul, head and shoulders above the rest. 
to have a charisma and engagement and leadership and authority and power. And he's going to lead the people. He's going to be the, the Jewish Messiah. And he, and, and he got put on a cross? Are you kidding me? He, he, he died a common criminal's death? Put on public display as a, as a low human being in that culture? Outside the city for all to see. Don't be like this guy. It, it, they're like, that's a stumbling block. That tripped him up. But considering the presentation we see in the two groups, if you're on a path and you're going the wrong way, I think it's good to trip and fall. Can we agree? It's good to stumble and stop and go, wait a minute, where am I going? What's, how can that be? How can that be? And really, that's really, I believe, what God was using. He's like, listen, I want you to just think about this. It's a stumbling block to you. Why is that? See, the Jews struggled because they had the history. They had the prophecy. They had all the, the, the Old Testament, we would call it. And they've seen this, this Messiah to come to be somebody so, he's the man. But they, they couldn't reconcile Psalm 22 or Isaiah 53. They couldn't come to an understanding of how he would be the suffering Savior and he would die this odd death, but he, he would reign victoriously and he would be their leader. He would be the Messiah that's the world. You see what they were? They were up against this, this quandary, if you would. Now, there's another group mentioned, the Greeks. The Greeks, because of their wisdom, they see nothing. You see, they measure off uh, position and influence and power and, you know, all these different factors. And, and here's the cross. This is ridiculous. How can a dead guy do you any good? Right? How can this man who is of no reputation, he made himself, the Bible says in Philippians, he made him, lowered himself of no reputation. He came as a man. He wasn't anybody of prominence and position. He wasn't one like, oh, have you heard about this guy? Which guy? Well, he's an unemployed carpenter. What did, what did you say? Did he have his own business? Is he a governor? Does he have any type of authority? Nah, he's just a comic guy. Greeks were offended by this. I have calloused hands. Kind of dirty, actually. Because <laughs> it's hard to keep them clean. If you work with your hands, you know what I'm talking about. They considered that kind of work borderline for animals, slaves. Because they were above that. They had people to do that because they were of the almost aristocratic approach. They, were the, they had the, the, the higher learning and the deeper education. And how this is foolish. There's no way you can say the leader of humanity is going to a cross. It was foolish. It literally speaks, it was an absurdity to them. It was literally absurd, a scandal, if you would. But interestingly enough, as I think we've already been able to consider, the path they were on, the path of philosophy and worldly wisdom, is proven to be a dead end. It will not get them to where they, they, they would like to go. The path, it literally is a path that would take you them, take you and I away from God. So they understood only the worldly wisdom, and we are called to make known the message of the gospel, the message of the cross. Do you think your friends will receive it? I would suggest many of them know. Do you think a relative will listen to you? Probably not. They'll look at you from this worldly view and say, yeah, I know how you used to be. I know who you were previously. But guess what? Romans chapter 1. Kim read it. 
we'll consider it again. Verse 16 and 17, Romans 1. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. For you and I, we must remember, we don't have all the answers in the sense of worldly wisdom and how to reason and, 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 and kind of work through these things with people. But we do have the truth of the gospel. We do have imparted to each one of us, according to Romans 12, we've been given a measure of faith. Been given the faith to believe. See, that's the difference maker, quite honestly. You will question, well, how does this work out? If God's like this, then why is this? But by faith, I believe that he is God. And I believe that Jesus rose from the dead. I wasn't there. You weren't either. I know some of you are old, but you're not that old. You weren't there 2,000 years ago. You didn't get to get a visual verification of the cross. You believe because you have the truth. Over 500 people we'll see in 1 Corinthians 15 when we get there. Seeing the risen Lord. The, the resurrection of Jesus Christ is a proven historical fact. But that alone won't get you into a relationship. It's the faith. Like, I believe it. God, I don't understand everything. Like the father said of his son as he talked to Jesus. Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. Lord, help me to understand how you are and who you are. and How this goes. Faith is the part. That is, I call it the game changer. Because it sets the mind at ease and allows the heart to bring truth and wisdom forward. We want to realize that you cannot talk someone into believing. Can we, can we accept that? You cannot talk someone into believing. You can persuade a confession without having conversion. You can actually back someone into a corner using your Bible and your relationship, and you can get them to confess something and say certain things. Sometimes just to get you off their back. Oh yeah, I believe. I actually know someone who, who really literally cited the sinner's prayer. And some years later said, I only did that to get that person to quit bugging me. It's like, crafty. <laughs> Effective, but dangerous. So you can convince their minds and emotions and not change their hearts. You can teach them religion without regeneration. See, we can learn religion titled as Christianity. You, you can come in here on a regular basis or, or another place of gathering and, and you can learn the practices and you can observe certain things and, and kind of duplicate. It's actually fairly easy to fake in my opinion. And you can do that and not be born again. Not have a personal relationship with Christ. You just agree. That's a good idea. It's a better way to live. And that's true. But it doesn't bring you into this relationship. What's the key? The cross the cross is the key. That's, I'm not, it's not my, something I come up with. That's what this tells us. The cross, that horrible, humiliating instrument of torture that God endured to pay for your sins. That's the difference maker. To understand he died for your sin. I, I can accept that he died for the world's sin. That's billions of people. I don't seem so bad when I'm in, a, when I'm in amongst bad people. You know what I'm saying? But no, that, that's not what he did. If you were the only person on the planet, he died and endured that horrible, painful death for you personally. And you need to realize that. You need to embrace that. You need to know that. Because that's what makes a difference. A personal relationship with Jesus Christ. It's disturbing. The cross is disturbing. It is not pretty. 
It is not what we have made it to be. I, I love the fact that we have, you know, certain symbolism of the cross. You know, some have jewelry and some wear maybe shirts and you know, we have a cross right here. I, I love that because it's a reminder of what God do, has done for us. But never forget, the cross was a horrible thing. The cross was not just a pretty noble way to die for someone. It was, it was disturbing, to say the least. The message of the gospel, the message of the cross, he died the most painful, humiliating death for you to remove your sin. When you put faith in him, your sins are removed. He pays the price. As you and I, as we get that, as that soaks into our soul, as we realize it, all of a sudden we want to be living and loving at a higher level. Because love has been shown to us. Love is being made known to us. And our lifestyle will change. The more we understand what he has done for us, the more we'll realize, I want to do life different. I want to live in a way that's pleasing unto him. I don't have to prove myself to him. I just realize in a deeper way this amazing love that he has expressed. You cannot figure out heavenly truths using horizontal or worldly wisdom. Wisdom from above is different. You can go back to last week's or you can just make a note. James chapter 3, verses 13 to 18. The contrast between the wisdom of this world and heavenly wisdom. You can see that. Here's the thing. Wisdom from above came down to a cross to save a wretch like me. I once was lost and now I'm found. Was blind but now I see. I hope you're saying that for yourself and not looking at me. It's yours personally. That God has done that for you. And that's why you can see. That's why when you look in the Bible and you're reading things and you're wanting to post something or share something or say something and people are going, loser. They don't get it. They don't get it. They can't get it. They're on a different path. They're reasoning from a different point. You're over here by the grace of God understanding eternal truth because he revealed them to you. It's a fascinating thing. Can we agree? This is amazing that he would pour the truths of eternity into these vessels, you and I. And he would teach us how to live and love at a higher level, how to walk in such a way that would, that would honor him. Now, I want to say something very, it's just very important. We could then deduce, well, if they're going that way and I'm going this way, there's nothing I can do about it. Well, understand, you can and should discuss and dialogue and debate concerning the wisdom of the cross. Do it respectfully, but realize you are merely presenting the truth. You are bringing the truth to them. God, in the person of the Holy Spirit, will convict of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. We present the truth, God prepares the heart. Does that make sense? You want a really squirrely analogy? You guys are used to it, so I'm going to do it. Say it. It's like UPS. Right? The guy shows up in the brown attempt at a uniform, and he drops off something. You, you don't really get to know the guy, right? He's done his job. He leaves you with something, and he goes away. You don't go looking him up. You don't, you know, what do you do? You open the package that was delivered to you. And ultimately, we, we just deliver the message. We bring the truth. And God will prepare the heart, so we don't ever want to... You know, say, well, it's 
People are going to do what they're going to do. Nothing I can do about it. Yes, the very call of God upon your life is to live in love at a higher level, to share with words, if possible, the truth of the cross, the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let your love so indicate and so be, your lifestyle be that the love is seen. Verse 24, to those who are called, both Jews and Greek, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. Two things I want to pull out of that. First, the called. So the word speaks of invited. And some have struggled. It's like, well, if some are called... And, and some are not. Some are going to hell and some are going to heaven. That's just the, the route of life. Then why should I say anything? Here's the thing. Just stop just for a second and, and don't settle into one camp or another doctrinally or theologically. Understand this. It's God's desire that no man would perish, but all would come to a knowledge of Jesus Christ. God has given us free will. It's, I, I see the picture. Maybe the, the way to see it is, Whoever believes on the Lord Jesus Christ shall be saved. That's whoever, whosoever. It involves whosoever believes. Many are invited, but few show up. Say you're planning this big event, a wedding. You send out invitations. Some ignore them. Some of the recipients won't respond. Some mock, oh man, they're getting married. What a joke. Some will consider, hmm. Some will show up to the wedding. Now, those who show up are a part of the event. They are invited. They are called. They're there. Those who were a no-show were invited, but they're not addressed at the event, correct? You don't have a part of the ceremony. Now, I want to speak to you, who those, to those of you who didn't come. You just don't even, they're not a part of it because they didn't show up. They were invited, but they're not there. Many are called, but few show up. So he's saying, you know, you were called, you were, you were invited to, the, to this relationship. You're, you're, it was given to you, both Jews and Greeks, the power of God and the wisdom of God. And then he uses a, a, a point of reason when he says the foolishness of God or the weakness of God. He's not in any way saying that God's sometimes foolish and sometimes weak. He's taken this logic that speaks of worldly wisdom and it compares weak and strong. And he says, even in this logic that you use, even as you say this, you know, you know what you consider foolish or weak, even at God's weakest point, according to your logic, he's still stronger than men. And even his most foolish point, using human horizontal reasoning, he's still wiser than men. He's really just, it's kind of in your face moment, so to speak, to the philosophers. It's like, listen, you remember those guys, the wise, the scribe, the dead guys? Yeah, yeah, they're not, they're dead. Their, their philosophy, their theory, their thought, it was supposed to be so strong and beautiful and powerful. And it's foolish and weak and got them nothing in regards to eternity. And so it, it, God's reasoning with him, Paul is bringing this truth forward. It, it's, it's still stronger than men. Now, verse 26, because we have a scheduled time to complete. It's today sometime. Verse 26. For you see your calling... Brethren, that not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. He's like looking around in the gatherings and just, you guys know you're not something, right? You're kind of a bunch of barely made it. You're really not the movers and shakers of the world. You're not, you know, you didn't make any Forbes list. You didn't make anything significant. 
But notice the most important part of this, I believe, is the letter M. The letter M. For you see your calling, brethren, that not any wise. Oh, no, there's an M there, according to the flesh. Not any mighty. See, not many, some. If it said not any, that means there would be a class distinction based on how you're born and how you're raised and how you think exclusively. But he's saying not many. Not many of those that are wise or, or you know, they're, they're strong according to the flesh or mighty or noble or, or you know, they're, 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 not, they're not coming. They don't go. People of position and prominence and power and wealth and worldly education, not many are interested in God. You can look around the world today and you'll notice that. Some of the highest respected people in regards to worldly wisdom, some of those, you know, financial giants and social media gurus and technology nerds, whatever, that are in the top of the top of the top, they're the most atheistic, indifferent, arrogant people in regards to God. Consistently. It's not required. It's just they put their confidence in something else. Consistently, they're putting their hope in something else. They receive the invitation, but they don't see the value or the point. And maybe you've seen that in your people in your life. I have had the opportunity, of course, to serve in the capacity I'm in now, and I've served in various titled positions, if you would, in 30 years. And in that time, I've sat bedside with many different people at the point of their passing, right at their day of departure, if you would. And I've never had one of them say, I'm glad... I spent, I'm glad I have more money. I'm glad I have this. I'm glad, orienting around this worldly wisdom, not one single person has said that. Sadly, I've heard many say, I wasted my life. I pursued things that didn't satisfy. I chased after things I could never catch. And when I did catch it, I let go of it and went after the next thing. And I look back on my life and what a waste I've done. Of course, I'm glad to be there and say, hey, listen, Fix your eyes forward upon Jesus Christ. Many of those are believers who make those statements. And so, my point being, let's not find ourselves putting hope and confidence in the things of this life. You should, I hope I've made it clear, whatever you do in word or deed, do heartily as unto the Lord. If you teach philosophy, do it the best that there is. If you are involved in this system or that process or whatever, make sure your heart's right before God and do it to the best of your abilities. But separate temporal and eternal. Remind yourself, these things won't get me to heaven. These things don't give me a better standing before God. These are just things of this life that are intriguing and interesting and fascinating to figure out. But the only way to heaven is through the cross. The only way to a relationship with God is through Jesus Christ. The foolish, the weak, the despised according to the worldly wisdom... It's the cross we see from verse 27 and 28. In regards to knowing God, the wisdom of this world is the path of the perishing. That's what we see from this text. The path of the saved seems weak and foolish to those who are perishing. People will look at you and look at you like you're wasting your life. You're certainly wasting your Sunday because you could have been sleeping in. Well, no, your second service, you already did that. So you're missing something, you know. So it's like they see you as like... They don't understand you. You're weak and foolish. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. I don't worry about it anymore. Because I, I know that's their, their reasoning from the wrong point. 
Verse 29, notice that no flesh should glory in his presence. So part of what we see is God doing things his way because he's God and he knows what he's doing. And one result of that is nobody glories in the flesh. We brought nothing to bargain with. Do you know that? Do you rem- just don't, don't ever let certain you know, disciplines creep in and say, well, I'm not as bad as that person. I'm kind. I'm fairly nice. I just had a few faults. And so I, I got a little bit at this agreement, this, this relationship, this when I showed up for salvation, Jesus at least had some things to consider. No, you had nothing more than garbage. You didn't even want to reveal what you thought was good. You, didn't, you had nothing. I had nothing when I came to Christ. I had nothing by which I can say, well, would you consider this when you place me somewhere in heaven? I had nothing. And we need to understand, what do we have? We have the grace of God that brought us to a point of comprehension that we admitted we needed God. You did nothing. You responded to an amazing offer. Listen, you want to be with me and know love and kindness and good and truth? And you want to be forgiven of your sins? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. You want to wallow in misery and be separated for all of eternity from anything that is good? Then just continue on the path you're on. You, 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 I don't know. I, I don't know how he can be so dumb to turn it down. But I didn't have anything to offer. You didn't bring anything to the table. Salvation is a gift from God. To God be the glory for the beautiful expression of grace and mercy in what we call salvation. It was his grace and his mercy that brought us to an understanding. His presence even allowed us and brought us and helped us to exercise our free will and respond to this glorious gift of life. It's fascinating. We're going to finish it. Verse 30. But of him you are in Christ Jesus In other words, he's brought you into this, who became for us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. In verse 19, I I mentioned the tense, we are being saved, you know. And 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 speaking of that, in this particular passage, we want to consider we've been saved, so it's past tense, from the penalty of sin. In this text, that's, that's righteousness. We are being saved from the power of sin. That's sanctification. That's happening now. We shall be saved from the presence of sin. That's redemption. That's ultimately fulfilled when you and I are in a a new heaven and a new earth. And the former things have passed away. And there's no more sorrow and no more pain and no more suffering and no more loss. That will take place for the child of God. We will be there, and we could just end it with by saying, to God be the glory. Let him who glories glory in the Lord. What an amazing thing. When I have the worship team come up, you and I will start part two of our study by turning to Ephesians chapter three. You know, I love to finish with a closing text. I select these by just really the praying and working through and just there's always something God says, hey, this is, there's a summary verse. There's a portion that capsulizes what you've looked at. Here, consider this. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20. Will you stand with me? <clears throat> now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us, To him be the glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations.
forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you, Lord, that you even like today, you reveal truth to us. You convict our hearts. You bring correction. You give us a sense of direction. You show yourself faithful. And so, God, I would pray that, Lord, we would walk in truth, that we would rely on you, believing, Lord, that you are able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we would even think about concerning our sin, concerning those things that stumble us and trip us up, concerning the attitude that we develop and the mindset of arrogance that can creep in. God, would you help us? Would you bring about change? Would you help us deal with each day, a moment at a time, a morning at a time, if it would? Show us, God, your presence, your power, that we would walk in the Spirit and not give in to these appetites and unhealthy desires of the flesh. Anybody listening to this, if, if you haven't began this journey with Jesus, you're on the path of perishing, the lost. When God calls you, don't, don't stay there. No forgiveness, no grace, no hope, no peace. Know these things. Let God make them known to you. It begins by agreeing with him. Agreeing, God, I, I, don't, I don't have this figured out at all, but I, I know I got issues and I know I've done wrong and I know I've rejected you and I need your forgiveness. And so you would literally say in your heart of hearts, God, forgive me. Jesus, forgive me. I, I put my trust in you and I really don't know how to do that, but I, by faith, I'll just do it. And that you would forgive me of my sins and you would bring me into this born again relationship that I would know you and the truth of your presence. That I would know what you would have me to know. Thank you, God. And that's our petition, every one of us as your children, God, to know you and make you known, to be aware of your grace and your kindness, your love and patience. Empower us and remind us, Lord, to live and love at a higher level for your glory and for our joy. It's in your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen.